Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. We're going to look at contemplation and contemplative practice and you know what that kind of means, what it looks like in our day-to-day lives. And I think if you're anything like me, you, you know, you've got preconceived ideas and notions as to what contemplation means, what it is. Um, and I think, you know, over the years, as a community, as a group of people, we've kind of twisted and bent and been turned and changed in a lot of theological issues around how our relationship with God looks like, how it manifests in our everyday lives. And, you know, the people that, the person that I was in 2007 in the Blue Building isn't person I am today thank goodness for that but um, within that there are stuff that I definitely on prayer that I would have not believed before and now suddenly I do things that I did believe then that I've kind of laid down over the years and and whilst prayer has been a really uh, important thing for me and I felt really passionate about it and I've even when I've kind of like found myself drifting away from God whatever that means there's something like a thread that always pulls me back to prayer and contemplation and what that is and what it looks like. And I just, you know, just, I feel like a real strong connection with this. And with that, the changes have come over the years. And if you don't feel like that, you know, I'll just own that for myself because I feel like that. Um, and I don't despise, and we shouldn't despise where we've come from, yeah. but because we're, you know, we're on progressive journeys, aren't we? We've had one level of understanding of God, and we go from different levels. And um, so, when you think of contemplation, what do you think of? We're going to ask you. Um, you know, is it boring? Is it that you haven't got time? Is it that it doesn't work? Is it that it's, you know, hippie-ish and? You know, um, the, you know, everyone's doing it because they're all into veganism and yoga. And, you know, it's all like kind of the, the new thing that everyone's doing. Um, is it that you're engaged with it on a daily thing, daily basis? Is it that it's one thing in the morning? Is it that it's a lifestyle? What is it that you feel when you, learn, you know, we'll do the five-second rule. What comes to mind really quickly? Go. I haven't got time. I haven't got time. Yeah, that's yeah. my one. Susie? Probably, I don't make time. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've tried to do it more, starting my new job, I've tried to make a deliberate effort to contemplate yeah. more, but it's hard. It's hard. Time. 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 Other things to do. Yeah. Space, just to be different. Okay, yeah. We haven't got the space to contemplate. <laughs> <laughs> you get up together now, What do you think of? Distraction, yeah. Distraction. Yeah, I think if I'm honest, it's just not a priority. Not a priority. Yeah. Can I have tea? I also think I have uh, historic hangouts that have been associated with other spiritual Yeah, uh, you know, I, I totally feel the same. And for me, it definitely is the time element. I haven't got time to be contemplating life because just, it's just happening, isn't it? At a really fast pace, and we have all this stimulus coming in all the time. And you know, where do we find time to just contemplate? And now we've thought about all those ideas. I just want you to suspend them momentarily and just try and have an open mind as to what it might look like as we go on for the next 
you know, season, I hate that word, but, you know, the next chapter in where we're going as a group of people. Um, in nursing, we have this thing called cascade training. Do you get that in different professions, teaching or anything? No. It's where, like, I as a nurse would be sent on a way on a course, like pain management, and then they can't afford to send everybody, so they send, like, one person. And then you're expected to come back and cascade that knowledge down. And if you haven't cascaded it down, then it's a waste of time having sent you. So you've got to prove your worth by going on these courses, by cascading it. And I really feel like that's just a little bit of what I'm doing today because not a lot of this is original thought. It's other people, um, how they've kind of viewed contemplation, people who have like just submerged their lives in it. And I've just drawn from that and from their wisdom. And, you know, it's been on my heart to kind of share a little bit with us. And then um, Steve said he was doing a series on prayers that seemed to fit in. But it's from other people. So if anyone wants to know more stuff, there is loads of resources out there. So I've got candles. You all, I've given the, I've bought them because I want you to challenge yourselves for the next 30 days to light this candle every day and to be contemplative at least once a day for the next 30 days. They say, don't they, 30 days for less than So let's, like, you know, if you want to, engage with it. Like, try and challenge yourself for the next 30 days that you're going to light this candle at least once and see where it takes you if you can actually form a new habit in your life to contemplate. And we're going to light them this morning, so grab your candles, your matches, don't use lighters, do something physical. I just really believe that when we do something physical and we represent the spiritual, just um, ignite something within your spirit to remind yourself that Christ is here. And when, you know, in Catholic traditions, they often light candles and they do it to represent Jesus' presence. And when we contemplate, you know, there are going to be lots of distractions. You know, your mind is going to wander. You are going to maybe struggle. Has everyone got one? And then if, they, if you do struggle, the flame in front of you just brings you back in. It just refocuses you. It makes you remember, oh yeah, what I'm doing here is I'm recognising that Jesus is with me. And he's not with me because of it, the candle. He's with us all the time. But the, the candle will represent to you that Jesus is with you in this present moment. So just out loud, just say, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Just say it to yourself when you're, when you're doing this at home. Jesus is with me. Contemplation is about wide-eyed seeing. There's this concept called wide-eyed seeing. It's about not what we're seeing around us in the physical realm, but it's about how we're seeing it. So, you know, you, we're all been in those situations where you get locked into a conversation with somebody at work or at a party or along the street, and you just really want to be somewhere else. You've got something else to do. You want to be talking to somebody else that you can see over their shoulder. You've just got a million other things you want to do and places you want to be. It's not what you're seeing in that moment. It's not what you're hearing, who the person is. It's how you see in that situation. Your child, I speak from experience, um, has a tendency to be quite aggressive and all of a sudden they've got like this like shoutiness about them. And it's not about how I'm seeing him. It's, it's not about what I'm seeing in him. It's about how I view in him, how I'm seeing that child. The newspaper starts informing you of Trump's latest tweet or Theresa May's latest dance move or something. It's not about what you're hearing and seeing on your news feed. It's about how you're seeing it. You find yourself in a doctor's waiting room because you're worried about a symptom that you've got and all these things are going through your mind. It's not about what's going on, it's about how you're seeing it. 
see families being torn apart by earthquakes and tsunamis. It's not what, it's how. The what is always really obvious. It's the evidential, it's the here and now, it's the person in front of you, the words that you're, you're hearing with your physical senses. But the how is always much more camouflage, and it needs excavating, it needs digging out, it needs some searching for. What is this symbol? I'm the least qualified person to, to draw this, but what is that? Oh no, I've done it wrong already. I've done it wrong. It's a treble clef. That's not it, is it? Just think about those three things. Treble and the bass. In your mind, think about these that, that image as you go away today. In life, when you're in the just here and now, you're getting on with life, it's a lot of treble. It's a lot of you know what you're getting in your senses. And Christ and contemplation brings you back to the bass. Don't think about all the treble stuff. Say, what's the bass note in this situation? What's the bass note in what I'm hearing in the words that somebody's saying to me, in the experience that I'm having right now? What, what, what is it that I need to search for, that I need to excavate? We're called to find these bass notes. And that is where contemplation comes in, because it gives you that tool to be people that can find the bass notes in the situations that you find yourself in. My mum um, has struggled with anxiety and panic attacks for numerous years, and one such really dark season in her life, she really felt like God constantly reminds her of a vision, and it was a vision of her in the ocean, in a really wild ocean, and she's just like at the waves, she's at the, the water line, and she's just trading water, and she's just constantly like keeping her head above um, the water line. She is surviving, but it's just, it's pretty fierce and ferocious waves, and she can't really seem to get anywhere because she's just literally just surviving and the call that she felt was that she just needed to actually just sink beneath the waves because when you actually go under and deeper down it becomes a lot more calmer even in storms actually when you the further down you go it just becomes calmer and calmer and stiller and stiller and that you know was for my mum but it's it's for all of us you know we're not just about surviving and about not being shipwrecked and rocked by the storms we're about sinking down lower deeper, finding that stillness, that calmness. And even though, you know, the waves and the storm is still going on, you know, God doesn't take it away from us, but he gives us an ability and a strategy to navigate through it in a, in a deeper, calmer way. There is this concept called socio-emotional selectivity theory. Has anyone heard of it? Socio-emotional selectivity theory. It's about the relationship between your age and your perspective on life. And they've studied um, this for a long time. It's like a very um, long research project. And they've um, looked at young people, which we are, all of us young. <laughs> and we um, are, the perspectives that we have on life are all about the future, about aspirations. What am I going to be? Who am I going to marry? How much am I going to earn? Um, it's about the having and the getting, it's about um, 
it's about our egos. It's about us and achieving in life, drawing success out of life. Whereas the old tend to have a shifted perspective on life that encompasses um, depth of relationship, relationships, meaning in relationship, connection, comfort. Um, they're about everyday pleasures, the, the present moment. They have more behind them than they have ahead of them. So they're much more able to just really draw from where they're currently at, from their present state. But what happens is when catastrophe happens, when suffering is experienced, when there's a sense of disaster or tragedy, that age perspective dimension just dissolves. And they studied three um, different catastrophes, the 9-11 terrorist attack, the SARS epidemic, and when China took over Hong Kong. And they looked at these these three um, periods of time, and they discovered through um, surveying and doing in-depth analysis um, conversations with different age groups, that during those times, during those moments, that perspective actually becomes everything. Regardless of your age, it actually then becomes a common commonality amongst people, and there doesn't seem to be this difference in, um, in, in perspective between the age groups. And what happens is, in life, we all have different situations, don't we, that we find that, that, that kind of impact our heart. And obviously, they'll be different for all of us. You know, one such, obviously, for me, this year was Louise losing her children and husband, my friend having multiple miscarriages and not being able to conceive, um, death of people, addictions that people are, are grappling with. We all have situations that, all of a sudden, remind us that life is really short, remind us that we need to, to um, be more grateful of where we're at. And we make promises to ourselves that we're not going to be complainers, that we're not going to be pessimistic, we're not going to keep um, being so negative about life because we have these like junctions in our lives that just bring about a new sense of reality. And you know, you'll all be able to name different things that have affected you now or um, in the past. And this sense of mortality really reorders our desires. Uh, do you remember when Andy Wolfendale died? You know, he was in the prime of his life, you know, young, was he nearly 30-ish age group? You know, and I remember at the time just being like, um, you know, Laura, my sister-in-law, always like saying to each other, let's just say Andy. Every time we, mo- we moan, every time we complain, just say Andy. It's like, it just like as markers in our lives that actually, you know, it's, it, it, it's, we need to be really grateful and we need to stop kind of making the big thing, the small things the big things. But what happens is life just starts again, doesn't it? And, and we, we have these moments of real clarity, but then, you know, Robin won't sleep through the night, or I've got a migraine, I can't find my car keys, you know... A mum at the school gate gives me the cold shoulder and I thought we were good friends. You know, like, you know, just stuff happens and all of a sudden we find ourselves, like, losing that perspective again and you kind of think, well, how, how is it that I have lost touch with that? that? That thing that really affected me a few months ago isn't anymore. And that is normal and that's just a normal reaction that we have and I'm not saying that we should feel bad about that. But contemplation is our strategy to keep that reordering of our desires to keep that sense of um, perspective that is gained through disaster and catastrophe and suffering but we don't have to have all of that constantly in order to remain um, in that in that kind of mindset 
It's our rebooting mechanisms. It's our rewiring of our systems. Um, we were discussing Russell Brand's book, and he calls it the Control-Alt-Delete um, mechanism in our life when we contemplate and we have moments of clarity. It's about stopping just our habitual way of thinking and feeling and starting afresh again. Richard Raw talks about us all having a reservoir within us and every single situation, every single moment of our lives, we are drawing from that reservoir. That reservoir. And if the reservoir is jaded and cynical and negative and hurt and disappointed and feels rejected, you will convey that in the situations that you find yourselves in, even if it's like not necessarily overtly negative, you know, just our addictions to whatever it might be, you know, our, our own kind of spirals and patterns in life, they will come from a reservoir within us. He theorises that literally every single response um, is actually habitual and repetitive, and that we're not very... Um, we don't have very many fresh and original thoughts at all, but actually we, we really are people who are very predictable and we are habitual in the way that we think and the way that we feel. And if the, the reservoir within us is stagnant and we don't refreshen it up, and we don't look at it and go and search out what the condition is like, then out of it will flow all the stuff that always, always has flowed throughout our lives. We won't be any different. We won't ever change because we'll constantly be doing the same things over and over again. And contemplation is our way of refilling that reservoir with clearer water so that we're then able to respond in Christ-like ways, in creative ways, in innovative ways, in wise ways. Prayer, he says, is not about changing God's mind but about allowing God to change our mind about the reality right in front of us. And that reality right in front of us is one that he says that we often distort and avoid. But contemplation is about allowing God to change our minds on those realities. But it's an everyday, everywhere kind of practice. It's not a once in the morning we'll do it or a 30 seconds at night before we conk out for the eight hours or nothing. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's something that has to be embedded in our lives throughout the day, not just these quick fix moments. You might have heard, if you've looked at all at um, contemplation, that it, it refers, um, your mind is referred to as like a monkey. Yeah, anyone heard of that? Um, and this, your mind, because all these thoughts that are firing up all the time, is likened to this monkey, it's just crazed and restless and fidgety and you can't get it to sit still and it's really it's just needing stimulus all the time because that's the kind of world that we're living in and it leaps and it dances and we can't seem to settle it and what the answer is isn't to tie it up it's not to you know put it in a cage it's not to restrict it and to be um, forceful with it the answer is actually to retrain this monkey so that it willingly comes and sits down, that it actually wants to and desires to settle and be peaceful, and it isn't forced to do so. You know, Robin, she is obsessed with the stairs at the moment. She's going up and down them all the time. It's driving me mad. But the answer isn't to, you know, 
lock her in a high chair all day or to, um, to stop her doing it, to restrain her. The answer is to train her so that she knows how to do it, so she can navigate those stairs, but safely, without me having to take her to A&E or get a visit from a social worker. You know, we, I want her to be able to do it, but it need, and, and the answer isn't to stop her doing it. And it's the same with contemplation. We, the answer isn't to stop your mind in this crazy kind of restless way to enforce it, to stop thinking. Contemplation is about doing it so regularly with such um, a consistent practice, you're retraining it to just come and to settle and to be still. But it has to be um, a regular thing. You know, it will not, you will not become a contemplative person unless you practice it. it you know, it's impossible. You have to actually um, build in rhythms in order for that monkey mind to begin to learn that it can actually stay still and that it's okay to do so. It's not about not thinking. You know, when you, as soon as you tell somebody to not think of something, they'll always think of it, won't they? You know, I'll always be writing my Tesla shopping list, booking a holiday, thinking about every anything and everything every time I try and contemplate and it's not about kind of like forcing those thoughts out of your mind it's about just thinking looking at them abstractly so like yeah I need to do the shopping list like give it space in your mind th- acknowledge it acknowledge that you're having that thought and then as if it's on a conveyor belt just letting it go and then clearing your mind back to being focused on Jesus is here Oh, I really want to go to Barbados. Yeah, okay, I really do because I'm tired and I'm, you know, loved to go. I acknowledge it and I'm just going to let it go. Don't fight your thoughts. Don't let your energy be a no energy. Let it be a, a positive yes energy. And in that way, contemplation will be fruitful in your life because it's not about restraining and being forceful and making your brain and your mind do something. It's about retraining it, being a positive yes energy, acknowledging that we have all these thoughts and feelings and being okay with that, not seeing it as a failure, but just letting it also go past us. In, in a way that it can't control us. So what number is this? Anyone? Mm-hmm. Oh. Do you all know that? Oh, my God. What is it? A trillion. <coughs> yeah, no, I thought that. Oh, Trish, so clever. No, I wouldn't well, know that either. That's, a million million. So this monkey mind, how are we gonna get it to stop? We're gonna contemplate, we're gonna do it regularly, we're gonna do it repetitively, we're gonna be consistent, we're gonna really be active in trying to um, embed embed this in our lives. And one such way is certain practices and we're going to look at one today. So um, a trillion, there is a trillion, a hundred, there's a hundred trillion, a hundred trillion, so that's one trillion, yeah. Yeah, so two more zeros. Right, hundred trillion. <laughs> there are a hundred trillion cells in our human bodies, whether we're small like me, tall like me, we we've all got about a hundred trillion cells in our bodies. And the cell is um, composed of 
these three different parts, the membrane, a nucleus, and the cytoplasm. And in order for any interaction between these cells, um, nutrients have got to come into it. Good, the good stuff has got to come in through this cell membrane, which is permeable, so it's able to get in and out. And then inside here, inside the cytoplasm, it's metabolised. And part of the byproduct of it being metabolised is that it always create waste. And so that waste has to come out through the same way that it got in, through that permeable membrane. And cells are constantly doing this process, taking stuff in, working with it, getting the good stuff out of it, and then getting rid of all the junk. And there's a type of breathing that refocuses really your mind on exactly this process. And it's a good and helpful way, I think anyway, to visualize that, you're, that this is what's happening in your bodies, but also in your spirit, in your minds, in who you are. Any impairment to this process, any interruption, anything that goes wrong in that, that's where toxicity um, starts to build up, starvation will happen, death will happen in the cells. So it's, it's crucial. And when we breathe in, it's called the prana. You might become aware. Are you familiar with that from the yoga? Um, the prana is the in. The prana is the getting the good stuff into those cells. It's the in, that everything good come in. And the apana is the getting it out of yourself. So you're breathing in. Every time you're breathing in, your cells in your body, throughout your whole system, all those different miraculous systems of your body, all the good stuff is coming in on every intake of breath that you take. And every exhale that you have is the apana, it's the letting go, it's the releasing of all the, all the waste, all the rubbish that we don't want anymore. So when you're in your contemplative mind, be thinking, every time I inhale, it's the good, Every time I exhale, I'm letting go of all the stuff we don't need and we don't want anymore. Your breath can become your teacher because it's so, I think it's so symbolic of our relationship with God because it's, it's, um, it's voluntary. You know, we're able to <gasps> hold our breath. I can make my breath do certain things. I can control it, but it's totally autonomic. It's totally not in my control also, because if I try and control it too much, there are certain carbon dioxide drivers, certain things that kick in in my body that will just force me to breathe again, unless I die. So it's, and that's like our relationship with God, isn't it? There's a lot of it that is actually just a complete surrender to him, uh, an acknowledgement that we are not powerful ones, mm -hmm. that we are completely surrendering and um, powerless. But there is also a part of our relationship with God that is really active and engaging and um, that he wants our... Uh, he wants our involvement in, he wants us to be participating in. And so our breath is like that. It's, it's both these things in tension with one another, but that create a perfect picture. And when we breathe, they've all studied that when you engage in deep breathing exercises, they've looked at people's saliva before they do the deep breathing, 
for 10 minutes this is, and after a deep breathing. And what they discovered that after you've done a deep breathing exercise for about 10 minutes, there are nerve, nerve growth factors and about 22 other proteins that are present in increased levels in your saliva after you've done deep breathing for 10 minutes. And those nerve growth factors and proteins are found in pr protection against cancers, they're involved in your immune system, um, they are pain and anxiety and stress responses, you know, um, like positive ones. Um, they, they have proven that it will reduce your um, heart rate, reduce your blood pressure. You know, there are physical, physiology, physiological um, benefits to you breathing deeply for 10 minutes. And that, in our minds, you know, in your logical sense, you kind of think, you know, how does it do that? Why does it do that? Like, how is it that God has kind of made our bodies in such a way that that is even possible? And I just think it's so, it's so him, isn't it? You know, even this week I was listening to the radio and Joe reminded this whole thing about how after all the years of um, medical advancements and, um, you know, we are so advanced from where we've come from medically, they still cannot come anywhere close to replicating breast milk in formula. They cannot do it and they almost held up their hands and saying they, ne they never will because there's something totally organic, there's something totally um, responsive about breast milk that will never be um, in a synthetic form and for me this is just like the breathing thing it's just like there's just something like really mysterious about the way that God created our bodies and he is so wise and he is so um, clever to have made it such and just by breathing deeply for 10 minutes we can actually protect ourselves and um, enhance the way our bodies operate and function so when you deep breathe don't do it through your mouth it's always through your nose um, and the effort is always on the exhaling. So don't be thinking about the inhaling because that always takes care of itself. As um, when you practice it, just focus on the exhale. And I want us to do a little thing now. So when we, so I want us all to exhale. And when you exhale, you could do this with an open mouth, but only this one. Is I want you to say, about your smiling breath. So one, two, three. But I want to do it again, and this time, halfway through the, I'm gonna go like that. And when I do that, shut your mouth, but carry on saying the. And what you'll get is like a swirling sound in the back of your throat, a bit like a um, Darth Vader type sound. So I'll do it. You kind of really feel it. Okay, ready? Now, when you're doing it, just don't do the open mouth bit, just do the. You're creating all this heat and this energy in the back of your throat. And when you do it, you do your exhale, your for seven, count and count of seven, and then you inhale, which you're letting happen, kind of, you know, by its own free will, let it be on a count of four. So we'll do an inhale for four, and exhale for seven.
you do that for three minutes a day, just start there. Just start doing that for three minutes a day. Inhaling for four, exhaling for seven. Try and, when you get to the top of those two numbers, just hold it momentarily and pause before you rush into the next one. And then exhale again, pause, inhale again. Use the sand timer, go out and buy something. I've got this sand timer, depending on how I feel, three, four, and five. I'll start off and I'll think, I'll do this in three minutes. And then actually, I get into it and I go for the five. You know, do whatever you need to, to kind of like give yourself a bit of a framework to work with. But try over the next 30 days, light your candles, at least three minutes of deep breathing getting your swirl, your energy, to remind yourself that you're doing something active and let your body do something amazing by protecting yourself against disease, stress and all that rubbish. And in this moment, you'll have uh, just this moment. Uh, this book um, is amazing and he calls contemplation the just this. Because in that moment, in those three minutes, you are just in that moment. You're just with your breath. You are not thinking of anything what's been in the past you're not planning anything in the future and if you do momentarily get distracted and start doing that acknowledge it and let it go and go back to the just this moment just this moment matters i can't control anything or else apart from just this moment so you can try it i my favorite quote is i am in the river and the river is bigger than me and I say that to myself all the time. I am in the river, and the river is bigger than I am. Life is not about me. I am about life. You know, when we, in life, we are so egotistical, so self-referential, everything that we respond to and experience in life, we're, we're reacting because of stuff in us, because of experiences that we've had, because of beliefs and judgments that we have. We, are, we use our reference points as being us all the time and contemplation will help you to realign that and realize that life is not about me i am about life i am in the river and the river is much bigger than me i can't go around judging people i can't go around using my reference points to make sense of the world i am just in the river mm. Julian of Norwich was a woman who died in 1416 and she survived the Black Death. Um, some say that she lost her children and her husband in the Black Death and even after all that, even by the age of 30, she then had a fatal illness and... Um, <laughs> um, and she nearly died and they thought that she was about to die and so, but she, she didn't actually but she had these um, visitations and these visions that she feels that were from God and one such was that um, she had a vision of a hazelnut a hazelnut, did you all know that? no I know what that number is but I don't <laughs> you didn't know what a hazelnut was you know, no. so she had a vision of a hazelnut here I had a hazelnut in her hand in the palm of her hand. And she says in this vision, I looked upon it with the eye of my understanding and I thought, what may this be? And it was answered generally this, it is all that I made. And she just kept repeating that all the time. And she had a revelation 
of Christ and her relationship with him. That he made it, the nut, he loved it and he has kept it. He made it, he loved it and he kept it. He makes us, he loves us and he keeps us. Every time a child is born, every breath that we have, every time we experience anything in our lives, he has made us, he has loved us and he has kept us. The contemplation is about bringing your mind back to the really simple things in life, using prompts if you have to, like this hazelnut, and being reminded that in the complexity of life, there is still real beauty in the simple things, and we can remind ourselves of them through things like this humble little hazelnut. When we practice something, which is what we're going to try and do over the next time in our lives, we actually create new neural pathways in our thinking. And so when we practice rubbish stuff, when we keep behaving in the same way, we're just strengthening those neural pathways. When we engage in a new habit and a new way of thinking, we create new neural pathways. So when you thinking about this really simple principle of being made, kept, love, you're creating new neural pathways in your mind, which will then embody themselves in the way that you respond and react to certain situations that you find yourself in. When we continually think the same things over and over, we are just reinforcing those habits in our lives. And we need to create new ones and we need to remind ourselves of our identity being so firmly and grounded in Christ. And there's another thing that you can use as a prompt when you try to contemplate. Um, you might be familiar with it, anyone who's read a raw quote. Um, and it's about your spacious soul. There is a true you, and this is your true you, so I'll read it out loud. The spacious soul. There is something in you that is not touched by coming and going, by up and down, by for or against, by the raucous teams of totally right or totally wrong. There's a part of you that is patient with both goodness and evil to gradually show themselves exactly as God does. There is a part of you that does not rush to judgment, rather it stands vigilant and patient in the tragic gap that almost every moment offers. It is a riverbed of mercy. It is vast, silent, restful, resourceful, and it receives and it lets go of all the comings and goings. It is awareness itself, as opposed to judgment itself, and awareness is not as such thinking. It refuses to be pulled into the emotional and mental tugs of war that most of life is, before it is forever over and gone. To look out from this untouchable silence is what we mean by contemplation. The soul is spacious, plentiful, and its amplitude is impossible to exaggerate. The sun here radiates to every part and nothing can diminish its beauty. This is your soul. It is God in you. It is your true self. Sometimes I just literally just pick one tiny bit of that when I contemplate and I just say... I'm not touched by the coming and going, or I am not of the raucous team of the totally right or the totally wrong. You know, just you can just pick it apart and think what part of it might mean or be significant to you to help you refocus yourself on your identity and who you truly are 
um, being totally immersed in your thinking and your responding to life. Contemplation realigns us into this headspace so that we can respond and react to life as we're truly designed to respond to it. Not held back by our need for control, our need to protect ourselves, our desires to be noticed by our own egos. Life is not about me. It's about voluntarily displacing yourself. So when we contemplate, when we immerse ourselves in understanding who our identity is, we are voluntarily saying, I'm not affiliated with any party political affiliation, I'm not um, of any church denomination, I'm not a mother, I'm not a wife, I'm not a nurse, I'm not anything. I voluntarily take off all of those roles, all of those labels. I come to a place where I haven't got any sense of tribalism, any sense of patriotism. I just lose it all. And I just become in this moment voluntarily displaced and I become who Christ has always believed and, and knows who I am to be. I'm a really morbid person. I've been in palliative care for 13 odd years. It's probably not helped. You know, I plan my funeral all the time. Think about dying all the time. I plan how I'm going to die. Who's going to look after me? Um, if Peter's five minutes late home from work, I am thinking how I'm going to tell the children that he's dead. You know, I just like I'm quite a morbid person. And this. Um, you know, there are some things of that that I think are, are okay, but there are some things of it that are really fear-based and anxiety-based. And when I'm in that state, I just, I have moments where I just contemplate and I think, am I dying right now? No. Have I got a terminal illness right now? No. Is Peter dead now? No. Are my children dead? Are they ill? No. And I just remind myself with this sharp reality at this present moment, and it stops the, the fear, the anxiety, because I can't control what might happen in the future. It's not happened right now, and it's not my reality right now, and I won't take ownership over it, because it's not mine to take ownership over. We have to hush the commentaries that we have going through our lives, and we have to hush them with God's reality. With, who, with how God sees things. We need to sink beneath those waves. We need to see, get down to the base. We need to go lower. We need to get to the stillness and the calm and the peace that God has always said is available for us. Deep, calling unto deep within our spirits. Asking ourselves continually, is this treble that I'm experiencing? Is this treble that I'm hearing? Is this treble that I'm feeling? Or is it a base? And if it's not the base, where is it? How can I find it? What's the real truth in the situation? We need to be curious about our behavioural loops. Um, we'll keep responding the same old ways to things unless we become aware of what triggers those particular behaviours. Um, I've got lots of these behaviours and triggers, as we've all got, and I was just thinking about them, and I was thinking, like, one of the ways that I try and... Um, that I feel like I've shone a light and been curious about my triggers, um, you know, is if I put something on Instagram, like, why is it that every five minutes I'm checking to see how many likes I've got? You know, because I've got low self-esteem. It's because I'm getting my validation from who is seeing it. You know, why do I exaggerate a story? Because I want to be more interesting, because I want people to take more notice of what I'm saying. 
why do I reach for Jaffa cakes every time I'm remotely low or I'm stressed or I haven't slept? It's because I'm not using Christ as my anchor point. I'm using my comfort. I, I want me to get my, my quick fix. Why do I, if I, you know, I'm not a senior anymore, but when I was a senior nurse, why do I always have to tell people that I'm a senior nurse? Why can't I just be a nurse? It's because I want people to think that I'm successful. It's because I want people to recognise that I'm not just a nurse, but I'm a senior nurse. You know, why do I have all of these triggers in me? What is it that's triggering these types of behaviours? And when I start to unpack those behaviours and recognise, oh yeah, I do this and it's really not helpful and it's really, well, I want to get rid of this waste. I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to be self-referential. I don't want to be egotistical. I want to, want to get this junk out of my psychopathy. We can only do that by coming back to these moments and saying, God, I recognise this trigger in me. I recognise that it's not healthy. I recognise that I don't want it anymore and I just keep doing it. I'm really habitual in this, but I want to have that fresh mindset again. I've recognised it and I don't beat myself up about it. I don't condemn myself over it, but I just come and I say, just this. I'm just loved, I'm made, I'm loved, I'm kept. I'm made, I'm loved, I'm kept. I've got a spaciousness in me that doesn't have to be judgmental. I've got a spaciousness in me that doesn't have to be right or wrong. We are, we have to, and these moments will then begin to define us. These moments will then begin to create new pathways that we break these habits. We have to learn the patterns of contemplation daily and we can begin and then we can begin to decode our behaviours and make better choices. We can understand Christ in deeper ways and be open to his insightful wisdom and let that be the commentary, not my commentary, but let his wise commentary be a thread that runs through our lives. Life is not about me, but I'm about life. I'm in the river and the river is bigger than me. That's it. I just, you know, I want us to engage in this. Um, if you want, like, you can, um, there are certain things that help me, so I'm always Timers, I do, I am practical, I do put on, like, timers to make me do it, because otherwise you can set yourself to do contemplation and it feels like you've done five minutes, but you actually done 30 seconds, you know. So challenge yourself, be practical with that. Um, you can use music. Um, non-lyrical or instrumental it's called isn't it <laughs> is better um, I put reminders on my phone every couple of hours so that I don't become this one fixed contemplator but that I just keep reminding myself oh yeah this is meant to be an ongoing thing um, candles, pictures um, prompts um, breathing you can get apps for your phone there are loads of different things that you can try and do to embed it into your life um, in a new way Oh, that's the handout. I have this pinned um, on my wardrobe every time I open the door, and it's 15 things that mindful people do. They eat slowly, they don't take themselves too seriously, they um, breathe deeply, they, they do all these things. And just like, again, it's just another thing that you might be able to stick up on the wall somewhere. But yeah, I am that mindful person. I can do this, I can find the erase notes and I can do it through engaging with God in a new way.